Hey Crosswalk, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm so grateful for this opportunity to share with you. Today we're looking at John chapters 15 through 17. And I want to spend these moments with you talking about the importance of connection and a bit about the psychology of a crisis. My piece in this three-part sermon series is going to be a bit more practical and focused on what we all may be experiencing during this time of quarantine and isolation. We're going to jump right in. So John 15 begins with Jesus saying, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do, that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Remain in me, he says, and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine, and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. You know, when I hear these words, my mind immediately thinks about connection. I think about this dynamic relationship between God the Father and Jesus. I think about the relationship between Jesus and the disciples, and even about our relationship with Christ. It's all about connection. In her book, Daring Greatly, Brene Brown, she says this about human beings. She says, we are hardwired for connection. And when there is disconnection, there is suffering. Wow. I mean, how many of us are suffering right now because we're disconnected. It's okay, you can raise your hand, nobody's looking. <laughs> you know, these are days of disconnection and because of that there is a lot of suffering. There is pain, there is grief, there is agony and longing, there's uncertainty and fear. I mean, we don't know how long all this is going to last. We don't know how things are going to be when all this is over. We don't even know when we're going to be able to be together, to worship together as a church again. And that list can go on and on and on. But God created us for connection. To be connected to Him and to be connected to one another. And right now that connection between us is severed. And we're hurting. But even in the midst of that pain, in the midst of this chaos and this confusion, there is hope. I want to share three points with you that will hopefully bring you peace and a sense of relief as we navigate through this crisis. As we begin talking about the psychology of a crisis, I'm going to highlight connection, control, and competence. The renowned author and psychologist Dr. Henry Cloud, he builds on this point of connection and he says that our lives are like houses and our foundations our human connectedness. So everything is built upon connection. And in this time of social distancing, self-isolation, our foundations have been shattered. Right? Our normal routines, like waking up, getting coffee, making our way to work or to school, and then seeing people, <laughs> connecting with people, for many of us, all that is now non-existent. So what do we do? Two things. First, we must create those connections. Right? We have to be intentional about connecting with others each day. So plan to call, FaceTime, or Zoom with your friends and with your family so that you're staying connected. 
Number two is we must return a sense of order to our daily lives. Because everything is so disrupted right now, our brains are essentially operating in error mode and we're being activated in very different ways. I mean, if you think about kids and the importance of order and structure in their lives, when those things break down, kids have a tendency to melt down. I should know, I've got a two-year-old right now. <laughs> so God created us for order. And when our routines are off, our brains feel activated and anxious. So to return order, we need to structure and schedule our days. Now, some of you are not gonna like hearing this, but that means getting up on time, getting ready for the day, so no more marathon pajama days. <laughs> All right, maybe you can have one or two per week. We'll give you a little grace there. <clears throat> but it's so important, we need to get up. We need to get dressed. We need to get ready for the day. And with that, we should make a list of all the things we need to accomplish, what our priorities are, and then begin to execute it. You'll find that as you do these things, you will regain a sense of control. And that leads us to our next point. You see, we have very little control, no control really, over what's happening in the world right now. And as human beings, we are designed to have control. Right? We have self-control, which enables us to make choices. Remember when we could go out and we could choose where we wanted to go, what we wanted to do each day, what trips we want to take, what restaurants we want to eat at, what shops or stores we'd like to go in? We simply cannot do those things anymore. We do not have the ability to make those choices like we once did. So this leaves us feeling powerless, or at least that's how our brains are registering it. And when this happens, when we feel helpless or hopeless, our brains move to negativity much more easily. All of a sudden, it feels like everything is bad, that no place is safe, that the slightest touch could be deadly, that the world is falling apart, and that the future is grim. But my friends, all hope is not lost, and we are not powerless. We need a reboot, right? We need to reset our brains so that they're not registering that we're operating in a way that's anti to what God intended for us. So here's what Dr. Henry Cloud suggests. This is what we can do to regain control. He says, get a piece of paper and make two columns. In the first one, write down a list of all the things that you have no control of, right? So like the spreading of this illness, the creation of vaccines, what's happening in our economy, what's happening on Wall Street, where things will be in six months, will there be enough, will we have enough, all these things that are out of our control. Write them down and then set a timer for five minutes and then just worry about those things. And I mean worry super hard. Just go to town, worry your pretty little heart out for five minutes and then stop. Then you take that list and you present it to God and you say, God, these are things that I have no control over, so I'm giving it all to you. And then you just let those things go and you don't allow them to have any more power over you. Now, in your second column, make a list of things that you can control. These are things like your health, your hygiene, what you eat, what you work on, what you accomplish each day, who you're connecting with, even your attitude, and so on. So you make that list of things you have control over and then you begin to execute them. As you do that, 
you regain your sense of competence, which is our third and final point. You see, with all this chaos, we've lost our sense of being able to feel competent. We don't go out like we used to. We're not our normal superstar selves anymore, right? We don't do all the things that we're good at doing on a regular basis. We're not accomplishing our daily tasks like we used to, and we need that. We need lots of small victories each day in order to feel fulfilled and accomplished. So that's where making that list of control, things you can control, will help so much. In our house, we've been making a list every day of three things that we want to accomplish. And it is so fun to see how my five-year-old and my two-and-a-half-year-old come up with these ideas of things they want to do. I love it. Another thing that helps our brains know that we're operating in error is to name the crisis. So what that could look like for you would be for you to sit down or talk to someone that you know and love and put words to what you're dealing with. You just got to name it, right? Say, this is bad. This is not normal. And then you talk about the ways that it has affected you. Dr. Cloud says that when we name something, our brain goes to a higher level and is able to look down on things and observe. And when we observe ourselves, the higher parts of our brain wake up and the reactive stress parts begin to calm down. In a crisis, our brains are putting out all kinds of chemicals, all kinds of thoughts, but not all of them should impact the way that we feel. You see, adrenaline and cortisol, these are primarily stress hormones that are activated in threatening situations like this. These things cause us to fight, to flee, or to even freeze. And these reactions should not be part of our everyday experience, and yet our minds are flooded by these chemicals and they're producing these wild thoughts because of the situation and times we're living in. Thankfully, God has given us incredible minds with so many capabilities. We have the ability to choose which thoughts should stay and which thoughts should go. In times like this, we need to order our thinking. As it says in scripture, we take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. This is coming from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. And in that passage, he's talking about how even though we live in this world, we do not wage war as the world does. He says we have divine power that can help break down and demolish strongholds. So if you're feeling overwhelmed or you're consumed by your thoughts, know this, there is help. Or should I say there is a helper. As John chapter 15 closes, Jesus references what he had already promised in John chapter 14, and that is the Holy Spirit. In chapter 15, verse 26, Jesus says, But I will send you the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth. So Jesus didn't leave the disciples defenseless, and he doesn't leave us that way either. The Holy Spirit, the Advocate, the Helper, our Counselor is with us always. So take courage, my friends. There is hope. May you strive to stay connected each and every day. May you let go of the things that you cannot control and take hold of what you can. And as you do that, may you regain confidence in your competence and trust that our Heavenly Counselor will guide us all through this. He is with us, my friends. So take courage.
Thank you, Pastor Mike, for sharing on John chapter 15, the message of Jesus being the true vine. I want to continue our discussion on John, and I'm going to share about John chapter 16. Have you ever thought about the statements that are stuck in your mind, the ones that are burned back there that maybe have shaped your identity or form your worldview? You know, a few phrases here and there. Maybe that's not something you think about. I tend to be obsessed with words. I, I do copywriting for a living, so maybe that's par for the course. In fact, one of the things that really fascinated me was an article that one of my favorite writers shared a few months ago. It was titled, Six Sentences I Will Never Forget. As I read through his blog, I, was, I began to think about what it is that is in my mind. And as I thought through that, I realized that much of what's in my mind is the words of my mom and my dad. Makes sense, right? Now, one of, the, one of the ones that comes to my mind is uh, a phrase that my mom would say whenever I was misbehaving or challenging her or maybe out of line. She would look at me, not fight with me, not, not angrily, just coolly. She'd just say, vas a ver. Now, this is a phrase that means you will see. And uh, it meant that uh, if I continued in the direction I was going, that there would be some serious consequences. So I might want to reevaluate it. In John, in, in these passages that Pastor Mike and Pastor Tim and myself, what we're looking at are the farewell speeches of Jesus. This is what some scholars refer to, to these passages because these are the, the last words that Jesus says before he dies on the cross and ascends. Well, he also resurrects somewhere in there, right? Um, and so John is telling us, look, this is what I remember Jesus telling us before he left. And there's a lot of different things that we could do with this chapter, but what I want to do is I want to key in on some of the statements that the disciples make. The first thing that happens in the minds of the disciples is that they are confused because they realize that Jesus is saying that he's going to leave. How do you behave in goodbye moments? I think that they're a little confused. I think they're struggling with this goodbye moment that they're experiencing. And, and I understand that. I'm not very good at saying goodbye. When it comes to having, and I don't just mean like, oh, see you later, you know, like you're going home for the night. Like, I mean like saying goodbye for an extended amount of time or even perhaps permanently. Uh, yeah, breakups are hard for me. We can talk, we don't have to talk about that today though. Um, so if you, th if you think about a goodbye moment, like how do you behave? Are you good at it? Do you, are you able to, to engage with it, say goodbye and move on or not? Do you know what to say? I, don't, I never know what to say. I just have to say goodbye to my wife a few a few a few weeks ago because she headed out to New York City um, to serve as a nurse up there. And you know, it's five weeks, so it's a significant amount of time to be away from your partner. And I had no idea how to behave or what to say. In fact, I, I probably didn't say enough, right? I, I didn't say I love you enough. I didn't probably hug her or kiss her enough. And this is challenging for me. I'm not very good at them. Maybe you're better at them than I am, but, but the disciples weren't very good at this moment either. In fact, they were struggling to connect with everything, even though Jesus was obviously letting them know what they needed to do and what he was going to offer them. They were having a difficult time with it. And, and so they go ahead and say, what do you mean you're leaving? In this chapter, Jesus kind of begins to spell out the fact that he's leaving and why it is for the best that he, he needs to leave. And, and this is a difficult word. It's difficult to, to hear from someone you love, someone that you've been connecting with and dwelling with for three and a half years that it's for your advantage that they leave. The reason why it's for the benefit of the disciples is because if Jesus leaves, then the paraclete will come, the helper, 
the counselor, the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I will go up to the Father and the Father will give you the Holy Spirit. And in this chapter, we are told that the work of the Holy Spirit will be able to expand and continue the presence of Jesus on earth. So the presence of Jesus would be accessible not only to the disciples, but also to the whole world. And this is a gift that we get to benefit from today. The other thing that the disciples say in this chapter is, okay, now that you're speaking plainly and directly to us, we understand and we have now come to believe that you are from God. This is an important statement in this chapter because in another section of the Gospel of John, the Gospel writer tells us that he has written his account for the purpose of compelling anyone who reads it to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And so it's fascinating that it took Jesus three and a half years, a very clear farewell address, and then just going ahead and telling them directly what's going to happen for the disciples to come to believe. This gives me hope. This gives me courage. It encourages me because sometimes I feel like I'm a little hard-headed. I'm not always connecting or, or hearing what God is telling me. And so, you know, it makes me feel a little bit better that even the disciples who lived with Jesus had a difficult time and, 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 and had a, to go through a process to be able to come to believe in God. There's also a note there to be said about the fact that dwelling with Jesus and, 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 and coming to terms with who Jesus is in your life, those two things can take time. As Jesus is having this encounter with his disciples and, and is letting them know, and, 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 and after he, they say, okay, 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 now we get it. He then comes forward and continues to speak very directly to them and says, look, the time has come when you will abandon me. You will be scattered and I will be left alone. And then he says that they will experience persecution. They will experience hostility, uh, that people will do wicked things to them in God's name. This is an interesting note because what Pastor Mike told us about is that we need to abide and we need to connect to the true vine and we need to uh, be in the word. And what Jesus is also telling us is that as we do those things, we will actually experience hostility, that we will experience hatred from the world. And Jesus warns his disciples of this so that they won't be surprised. It's one thing to have a bad experience. It's another thing to not see it coming, right? Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be surprised. He wants them to have peace. And so he warns them that faithful discipleship will be disregarded and even disdained. Perhaps we might even say that it will be despised. Friends, Jesus doesn't want you to be surprised and that's why he lets us know that in this world we will experience hatred and hostility. And whether that comes through direct persecution or whether it comes through traumatic events like pandemics or natural disasters, Jesus has a statement for you and I today. He says, in the world you will experience trials and sorrows, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And as we are in him, we can partake of this victory. So may you know that there is nothing that can separate you from that. May you know that in Jesus, there is victory.
Mike has spoken to us about the connection that comes through Jesus and how he has sent a counselor. Now this word is so appropriate in that with the true and real post-traumatic stress syndrome that truly most of us will feel as we've gone through this pandemic, we will need a counselor and we might need counselors as well. I've mentioned to many people that we've been underestimating the stress and anxiety people are feeling through this. This has been a train wreck by inches. We think of trauma as something that happens quickly and almost with violence. But this has been a slow and deeply traumatic moment for so many of us. I was reading an article from an academic journal on psychology, and when the question was posed, who will suffer PTSD from this time, the answer was quite simple, everyone. And then Bryant spoke to us about the victory we have in Jesus, because Jesus is the one who has overcome the world. And while the world won't understand us, it it won't understand our compassion, It won't understand our willingness to look to help before looking to protect our own selves. It won't understand how we see abundance in scarcity, hope in tragedy and opportunity in crisis. They just might see what it means to be a follower of Christ in us through all of this. Okay, but then we get to John 17. Some call this the high priestly prayer that Jesus prays on behalf of his disciples and those that would believe through the work they will do on his behalf, on behalf of the gospel. You see, he has been talking to them, but now he turns his attention to God. And he wants God to know how great these guys are and how important the work they are doing is for the kingdom, as well as to glorify God. I love this chapter because it, is, it has such an incredible model for community held deep within it. There's a theological word for, word for all this in language. Verse 26 sounds like this. It says, I made your name known to them and I will make it known so that they may love, so that the love with which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This in language, it's, it's called perichoretic language. It's the language of mutual indwelling, the language of abiding, you've heard me say it before, the language of being so close to be as one. Now, I don't know about you and your families and friends, but but we've been sheltering in place for 37 days now, and we are beginning to look like one another. Jake and Isaac and I all have pandemic pants that we wear. They're these army pants. Jake's are in camo, Isaac has olive drab and camo, and mine are in Vietnam green. I had some like this in college and and I bought mine out of nostalgia a year ago or so. We all wear them pretty much every single day and we're beginning to look a little bit like one another. And we're even beginning to talk like one another. This is what happens when you live in such close proximity with each other for so long. And my wife is cutting our hair, except I did still cut my own hair. But the disciples had been living with Jesus for three and a half years or so and they had been really close to him. We know that Jesus actually sometimes needed a break and went away from them, which is something we should probably do at times as well. Even if we're in close proximity, make sure you're taking time for yourselves. Even if it means you get up early and you do some work or you just relax or whatever. But see, there was something that made their time together sacred. I mean, of course, being with the Son of God on earth made it sacred. But I think that the mission that they all agreed to was what made it bearable to be with one another so profoundly and so often. Their mission, their purpose, 
to express the kingdom of God to everyone, to heal, to show compassion, to let people know that God still loves them. All these things kept them focused on something greater than the close proximity that sometimes can breed contempt. And while we don't know for sure how well they got along, being people, we can imagine that they got on one another's nerves. But it was the mission that tied them to Jesus and tied them so closely together even after he was gone. So what does Jesus do? Jesus prays for them. And while we could spend hours on this chapter alone, there are three verses I want to focus on. Verse 15, chapter 17, verse 15. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, says Jesus, but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. And the last verse is, you have sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. Now, verse 15 tells us that Jesus was not asking for an escape route for them, but rather for protection in the midst of everything that they had to suffer. You know, perhaps too many of us, we use our faith system as an escape route to heaven while neglecting the work that has been given to us here. This seems to be Jesus wanting them to continue the work regardless of any crisis, but that they may be protected in the midst of it. Then he goes on to say that they do not belong to the world at all. This is verse 16. In the same way that the identity of Jesus is wrapped up in the Father in heaven, so the disciples' identity is wrapped up in Jesus, so is ours. They belong to him, we belong to him, not in this world. In the same way we are promised that same identity and that same way of not belonging to the world. I mean, have you ever noticed when something is not yours, you can have a little bit more grace towards it? You have a little bit of space from it? When your identity is not wrapped up in it, you can have more perspective. That is the way we can approach what is happening in the world. Because this world, this pandemic, this whole narrative does not define us. Christ is the author of the narrative that we live. Then he reminds them that they do know a few things. His truth through his word, which remember is what John in chapter 1 verse 1 calls Jesus. Remember in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So our truth is wrapped up in Jesus, which is why we chase him through every single scripture we read. And lastly, he reminds us of his purpose, which is their purpose as well. Their purpose in general terms was to go and share the gospel. If nothing else, we can find hope in abiding with Jesus as a call to share the gospel, especially in these times of trouble, if we can call them that. And I want to be super clear on this. I'm not talking about taking advantage of people in their moments of crisis so they might believe in what we believe in this time. What I'm talking about is showing people so much love, so much grace, so much compassion that they cannot help but want to join us in abiding in Christ. That, and, a, and a God that can create so much love in us, that much energy in us, that much focus on others in this time, that they'll join this kingdom. While the rest of the world is preparing for the difficulty that is coming, and it is coming when we talk about economic crisis, 
I hope we will be the ones that are preparing our hearts for greater generosity of spirit, greater eyes for help, greater hands for compassion, and a greater understanding of who God is through this. We're in this together, right? That's a phrase that I'm hearing all over. And those of us in the body of Christ, well, we know, we've always known this. The metaphor of the body reminds us where we all are connected and where we live together. The question today is how are you going to find your place and function and purpose in that body in a crisis? Well, we don't think of our adrenaline glands too much, our adrenal glands. But in times of stress and crisis, they move to the forefront to help us regulate metabolism, release hormones, to help us deal with stress, and even help us with the sleep-wake cycle that we live in. Everyone wants to be the hands, right? Everybody wants to be the feet of God. But in a crisis, maybe we should be the adrenal glands for the planet. We're all in this together, and we all get through this by abiding together in close proximity with the same purpose as Christ. And we are not to try and simply isolate ourselves or run to the hills. The words of Jesus are strong and profound and clear. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but I ask you to protect them from the evil one. That's in the world. So may we protect one another by being there for one another, to alleviate stress, to help people wake and sleep, help them find peace amidst the storm, and to let them see the greater narrative that Jesus is writing through us. Have courage and be courageous. And let's pray together. God of grace, May we be exactly what you need us to be in the body to get us through this time. Lord, the comfort that you give us by abiding with us, by being in us, that perichoretic, that mutual indwelling, Lord, we are so grateful for it. And my prayer to you today is that you protect all of us, all of us who would see your kingdom grow and see your kingdom come. And Lord, if you wait, if you tarry, if it doesn't happen today, may we make it through this time of crisis. May we come out the other side, not only with a greater understanding of you, but with a greater purpose, a greater focus, and with a greater number of brothers and sisters in the kingdom for the work that we've continued to do while we are in the midst of even sheltering at home. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this team. Thank you for this community. Thank you for the greater Crosswalk community. And thank you for what you are still doing in our lives every single day. In your name I pray. Amen.